about to go to podcast mode. Ready? Okay. Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I'm doing the intro live with our guest, live in studio, which is just in my backyard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, guest today is Shane Doughty, continuing his story from uh, an episode quite a while ago as I'm stalling to look up to see the exact number of it. I believe it was episode, should I take a guess? He's like not making noise on the mic. It's like he forgot. Am I live? You're live. I'm dude. live. Okay. I think, yeah. Um, he I was, was, I was going to say 23, but I'm just really throwing no, a number dude, out there. You're definitely in the teens. Ooh. Ah, feel, feel very special. I knew it. I was going to say 15. So, so yeah, if you enjoyed today's episode, go back and check out the start of Shane's story on episode 15. Uh, but before you do that, uh, if you enjoy the, the episode, feel free to just subscribe on iTunes and write us a review and all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, you can find all of our stuff on like a Bigfoot. Just type it in to whatever the social media stuff is. And dude, Shane, I'm trying my best at social media. Dude, you just gotta go. You gotta go 100 miles an hour into it. Like, what do you mean? I don't know. Just like <laughs> throw yourself into it. And start. You do a really good job. That's the thing. You think so? Yeah. Like your your pictures are really really good. Okay. And it's capturing what you do on a day to day basis. Whether that's you and your girls, you and your wife Lindsay, or you on a mountain, running, walking, hiking, chasing deer. You know. You know. I had this conversation with Lindsay lately or recently. Um, about whether or not we are truly representing ourselves on social media. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. But who does? Who does? Yeah, but you can do it. You can do it to an extent. So just as an example, you hung out with me. You're out here for vacation. Yes. And so you hung out with me, my wife, and my two daughters. Yep. And, you know, all the pictures we put of Harper online. Right. She's smiling and happy. <laughs> right. But, like, that's obviously not the truth. Right. Because she's a three-year-old, and three-year-olds sure. have moments of, I mean, you witnessed probably the worst meltdown we've had, and it was so, it was, it's almost like you're almost embarrassed of it, but at the same time, this happens to everybody with a three-year-old. That's every three-year-old in America. Yeah. But that, that goes like hundreds of years ago when they first started taking pictures, you know, well, of course they didn't smile in those pictures, but like. That's because, you don't, do you know why? No, I don't actually. It's because the. They would have to leave. This is me, like, not it. I don't fully understand the mechanics behind it. <laughs> but a picture would take okay. like 10 minutes to take. So I the exposure you. would be open for a long time. Okay. And so try to smile for 10 minutes. Okay. Try to hold a smile for 10 minutes. So basically, they're standing in place and they don't know when the shot is no, actually being taken. The shot is being taken that whole 10 minutes. Ah. So the fact is, you can't possibly hold a smile that long your face right. muscles will get okay will get worn out now there's probably like some ultra endurance smilers out there <laughs> <laughs> some guinness book of world record smiling deal dude do you think that's a record it has to be let's go after it man <laughs> i smile a lot I, yeah i mean that i think you'd have to train actually i think you would yeah like hardcore oh it'd be creepy though it'd be weird you get, get some weird looks at the well I don't have high V by me. Uh, what do you go? Sprouts out here? Out here we have King Supers, Sprouts, Trader um, Joe's, Safeway. Yep, Trader Joe's. So if you're just smiling down the aisle in every aisle like high V, 
um, you get some weird looks. Oh my god, you just made a high V pun. <laughs> it was which a nobody smile will get in every aisle. So if you're from the Midwest, you will get that pun. Hey, I'm just throwing in marketing. You're just yeah. <laughs> we just picked up new viewership. All right, <laughs> trying to get sponsored. <laughs> um, so I guess the point being was like we had an open discussion about whether or not we are representing our lives social media because me and my wife do a lot yeah. with the kids we're out we go hiking we take them you know up mountains and in open spaces and all that stuff and let them play outside and so it's not like we're misrepresenting right. like you know some people can go out there and misrepresent themselves like let's for instance if i went for a run and i took like 50 pictures on one run right and then i didn't go on a run again for like two months later but i kept posting those pictures i took on that one run every day that would be misrepresenting that would yourself. be very inaccurate of what you're doing yeah and that would be very inter- inaccurate and it wouldn't be it wouldn't live up to like integrity in my opinion right. but what you guys and what you guys you and Lindsay. So what you guys are doing, though, I mean, when you post a picture of, let's just say, Harper, um, because she's a little bit more, um, well, they're both active, her and Zoe, but whether she's on your slack line here in the backyard where you're trying to balance with a donut, (laughs) no less, uh, like, that happened. Like, that was a real moment. Yeah. And you were here, like, we were on the slack line for a good 45 minutes yesterday. It wasn't like... And Harper came up with a donut. We didn't place that in her hand, you know? It was like an organic moment. So I think it's a very – it's an awesome question because I think so much of the time people do post things, myself included sometimes, yeah. where it's not like your day-to-day life. But the thing is it's not all day, every day, and you have to sure. keep that in mind. So, you know, I go out and run for an hour or two hours in the morning or whatever in the mountains generally or by the parks by my house overlooking the mountains, and I'll take a picture. But I don't want people to come away thinking like, oh, he's – hanging in the mountains 24 7 i would love to don't get me wrong right that would be sweet yeah. but you know real life comes around and you have kids and you have work and things you need to do well i don't have work, My work <laughs> <laughs> I'm t- well, for, a, for another I mean, month soon enough yeah so anyways it was just a interesting question and we came away with that same thought where we're like we're not misrepresenting but we are doing the thing everybody kind of does on social media yeah which is you post the really fun parts of your day. Like, I don't post a picture of when I'm <laughs> sitting around being a bum watching TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> you could. I could. I should. I'll do a day. I should do a day where it's like the real, you know, <laughs> like the real life. It's like uh, uninhibited, this is my life, Instagram 24-hour deal. Oh, man, that would be so boring. Like it, That's the thing <laughs> is people don't. People, people might want to see your children crying. I don't know, but like, <laughs> who knows? Those are jerks. <laughs> but anyway, like, people want to see you climbing a mountain with the sun rising over downtown Denver because that's cool. Like, yeah. that's cool. Um, and then it's for them to decide like what to make of it. I guess. For me, I see it. And I say, okay, the sun's rising. I know Chris well enough to know that he runs in the morning before everybody and anybody in the city of Denver is even awake, and that's that's what he does like that's how he starts his day like every day yeah so i guess it's for everybody to kind of interpret and decide what it means to them which is is unique in its own way too for sure and if it's just there's you know there's times where you can look at somebody 
on social media and you feel the twang of envy or jealousy. Oh, yeah. Um, and you think like everybody's doing stuff cool all the time. So that's one way you could perceive it, right? Like you could let it kind of pull you into that negative zone or you can be inspired by it, you know, because I follow some mountain athletes or a lot of mountain athletes and, you know, people live in hashtag van life (laughs) where they're just living, you know, in the mountains in a van that looks very freeing. And, you know, you get those moments where it's like, okay, there's two paths in this road. I can be envious of this or I can be inspired by this and make it or use it as inspiration for my own adventures right or something like that yes yes and it's it's unique for all of us in how we use the social media be it you know twitter instagram but like for me and then in the college football world yeah it's a recruiting tool and so what do we always do well we want to put our best foot forward and whether that's facilities or what our players accomplishments are or what we are academically or where we're located it's always painting a picture that's like super rosy and it's got every color in the whole scheme of colors and it's just not that way yeah. you know it's uh it's never the, the picture's never that pretty i guess so to speak yeah um there's there's some real life there but more often than not it's it's a painted picture that's not exactly replica of so life you're showing like your strongest player absolutely squatting like eight plates on each side and 50 feet down is, you know. The kicker. <laughs> right. And he's squatting as a max, maybe 265. Yeah. And that's just, that's that's part of football. That's part of life. But that's not part of Twitter, I guess, and no. Instagram. Well, and I guess the idea is like, I wish, I, I not only wish, but I think people should also start working on critical thinking when it comes to that. Because yeah. there's a lot of people who kind of become depressed just based off of I think there's studies on that there's a lot of studies don't know any of them <laughs> yeah I, I can't like cite the research but I've read bits and pieces mainly on social media yeah. telling you that it makes it you know your life worse or negative or depressing or whatever but I think that's again how you interpret it yeah well and it's also how often do you use it how often are you on it is it running your life are you checking it every time every 10 minutes because that's not super healthy it's not healthy but what makes it hard is everybody carries a phone with them so and if you have twitter and instagram it's usually an application that is on every device that you have so it's always there it's readily available and if i'm standing in line at hy-vee okay and i'm bored i might look at the candy or or the soda or whatever or i might check twitter yeah and twitter's usually more interesting than the candy or the Pepsi that's in the in the soda machine. It is, but let me just pose you this question. Is it more interesting than the person in front of you or behind you? That's if you where, actually were able to start a conversation. That's with where them? I couldn't agree more. Like I think we're lost yeah. as a, a society, but part of my thing is like probably being reluctant to start that conversation anyway because of my own internal inhibitions yeah. about uh, is that person too busy to talk to me? You know, are they yeah. handling with, you know, their three-year-old boy yeah. or, or yeah. daughter, whatever, you know? I'm always just like, what do I say? It's <laughs> What's interesting the first thing I say? I think you can say anything. Like, I don't think there's, I think it's like everything's fair game. And like the more interesting, obviously, the better. Like say something yeah. completely crazy. Like, do you prefer M&Ms or Skittles? Reese's Pieces or Reese's? Do you think a giraffe could ride an elephant? Go with it. <laughs> and then, like, you've caught their attention. They'll remember you for life, or at least for the rest of the day, which yeah. is pretty cool. Well, and I guess 
for me, if I'm waiting in line at a grocery store, I'm kind of just, you know, and I'm in the zone where I'm like, oh, what, like, what do I say to this person in front of me or the person at the counter? I'm kind of wishing someone for someone to come up to me and yeah. say something interesting like that. And meanwhile, the other person yeah. may be thinking the exact same thing. Exactly, man. And then you just find yourself on Twitter yeah. or looking at the candy or whatever it is you do to pass that time. Yeah. Do you ever see those pictures of like, cause you know, the whole thing is people back in the 1950s didn't weren't distracted all the time. Right. They never had their phone, but, but you see people who like with newspapers. Right. What do you think about that? I think, I think it's probably a, a pretty good uh, generalization of people have always been occupied by other things, external means and, uh, we are social beings, but we also have internal dialogue, and we're also captivated by news and yeah. sports and business and whatever. Whatever you get on Twitter for, whatever you read the newspaper for, yeah, same thing. So I think I tend to agree with those pictures. I think the main thing is just be conscious of like how you're using it, right? Because it can be a lo- it can be a lot of fun, yeah, doing that. And I guess there's a whole way of saying. Follow like a Bigfoot on Instagram. <laughs> I do have Twitter. I don't use it as often. Um, just because, dude, that's the other thing. I'm, like, kind of overwhelmed by, oh, man, like, I got, I got the main three, right, for like a Bigfoot right. for this podcast. And it's like, oh, I can do one of them. I could just focus and do one of them really well. Or I could do two, not as well, which is what I do. <laughs> or I could do all three, but then it's spreading myself thin. And then I'm like, how much time do I want to spend on this? I guess I going back to your original question, and, and not to hang on it forever, but I think what I said, go into it 100 miles an hour and not look back. I think what you're doing, again, is really good. And if you're on all three platforms, all the better. But if you're focusing on one, that's probably yeah. the best way to do it. And I think the other thing that's really important is whether you like something on, on Twitter or retweet it or, or if you whatever you do on Instagram, uh, heart heart it or whatever heart it (laughs) (laughs) but like don't like to me if you feel obligated to like somebody's stuff just because it's a friend then you're on it for the wrong reasons like like something or retweet something because you believe it or heart it if you like it you know yeah um (laughs) i don't know what the heart means i guess just means you love it (laughs) all right uh let's get into actual topics for all right though that was good um and i'm gonna pause it for a second because i'm becoming paranoid because we're doing this live in person i'm becoming paranoid that it's not recording so let all me right. double check all right and we're back <laughs> it worked studio break here. yeah studio break um okay so well okay so last time you were on the podcast we started your journey into becoming a college football coach episode 15 episode yes. 15 as established um and we got up to the point where you got your first kind of gig for college football um at the university of iowa as a student assistant right um yeah man so i i guess one thing i wanted to talk about before we even get into that is we had an interesting conversation the other day uh while you're you know you're out here on vacation so we had an interesting conversation about integrity okay yep and like not to like i'm not going to name names or anything like that but we're just we're talking about there's a few college football coaches who have been busted for various things a lot of them unfortunately like alcohol related right and so i don't know i just i liked your perspective on integrity so i don't want to like <laughs> look at that and be like oh my god what did i say <laughs> um so i guess one thing we mentioned was 
every single person has their own belief systems, their morals, yes, things like that. And so, which means we all have our own integrity to like uphold, right? And everything you do against that puts like I, I was doing an analogy of like a knight in shining armor, okay. Right? So, like the nice, beautiful, beautiful thing of armor. Every time you're doing something against your integrity, you're putting like a little dent in that armor. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, one dent, two dents, not a big deal. But eventually, you're going to dent it enough that like your nice, shiny piece of armor is now a piece of crap. Right. And people aren't going to want you in battle to continue the analogy. I like the analogy. I like it. And it's true. It's true. Whatever it is you do to harm your integrity, and it's not just obviously football, but you bring it up because there's a platform there that coaches and players have. And if you do something that damages your integrity and maybe even then the integrity of the program or the team or your players, uh, it doesn't take too many of those dents before you're, you're pretty damaged. And then those dents are very hard to repair. And some of them are irreparable. You yeah. Know? yeah. So it's, it's an interesting perspective. I like the analogy. I think it's very fitting for, for everything in life, really. But certainly college football, coaches, players, programs, when you are representing something that's bigger than yourself or you're representing a team or a program as a single individual, you must, in my opinion, uphold something that is, is very strong. Well, and it's just the example you're setting for your players. Is, Absolutely. You know, I it's the whole like walk the walk talk the talk or sure. no, wait, <laughs> vice versa talk sure. the talk and then sure. walk the walk like if this is supposedly your team's morals then and you're going out and you're getting a DUI as a coach to me in if I was a player in my eyes that would damage your reputation reputation like I, how can I listen to this guy if he's going out doing and I think we mentioned when we were talking and it's just us reliving a conversation <laughs> I realized that but I think we mentioned, like, we understand, like, I understand people make mistakes. Sure. And people make flaws, you know. Yeah. But you just got to keep that in mind. I, we're, we're all flawed. I, I, I believe that 100%. And, okay, so how does that carry over to real life, okay? Everyone is going to have their troubles, their, their shortcomings. But when your flaws become somebody else's troubles, Okay, when it becomes the represent, representation of the team or your players, and when they can't follow your lead, when your actions don't coincide with what you speak, then there is a problem. Yeah, and that and that's uh, I think that's a huge deal. And it, I, it's something I keep in mind because the, there are certain philosophies that I keep spouting on this podcast, and I'm like, oh my god, if I <laughs> if I don't live up to those, <laughs> like. How can I be the one that says it? Sure. You know, so Some, like... Sometimes I think you have to speak things to life, though, too. You do, and that's part of it. I mean, the more I talk about putting in the hard work and being consistent... Right. And, you know, I'm doing this yoga challenge. It's a 100-day yeah. commitment. You're almost there, too. I know, and I'm talking about the word commitment and what that means, and that's a powerful word. Yep. And I'm, I haven't missed a day yet, but there, there, were, there, are day, there were days that I wanted to skip so badly... And just by like, since I'm putting it out here on this, I was like, I can't skip. Right. You, you've got something that, first of all, I think is, is already intrinsically in you that tells you it, this is an internal motivation that says, I must accomplish this. And just as an extra kick in the rear end, I guess, 
is you've got something well you've got a couple things i mean you've got your your calendar thing that you you check off every day and then you've got what you post online and what you give out on the podcast so i think you what you're doing is you're, you're you've got a success system basically yeah. in place so this is how i'm going to succeed like it's going to come from deep within but i've also got other measures to keep me going yeah. which i think is the smartest thing in the world yeah so well and so the reason i bring any of this up in a way it's like involved with your story is you are taking the route of most resistance being a college football coach right. i would say that's probably fair because you didn't play college ball correct you don't like you weren't born into a family of college football coaches right so you're starting from the absolute bottom of the totem pole and like slowly working your way up right and i don't know why i added so much emphasis on slowly <laughs> well <laughs> I mean to. that's not what i mean like you're working your way up and it's you, accurate you it's know fair. that you have to be patient you know right right that's it, it what's what's actually pretty neat about the business is it is becoming a little bit more common for people to not have played to get in and work their way up be it slowly or quickly but no matter what it takes certain principles and guidelines and people to help you out along the way whether they're high school people and I mean coaches usually uh, or college coaches that somehow you build a relationship with and they take you from step to step and then all of a sudden you're on, on the third floor of a, a 10 floor building whatever and that's you know who knows how many steps you make how, yeah. who knows how many stories you go up but uh, you need people to champion you and you need people to help you out along the way yeah, so you started at Iowa, and you were, what, like 22, maybe? And you were a student assistant. Yes, 22. I'm just guessing. 22 was, uh, no, that's correct. I suck at figuring it out. That is, uh, hold on, I'm thinking, I was 22, yes. Okay, okay so you're Valentine's like, Day at, at 22 years old is when I started, essentially. So Kirk Ferentz showed up at your door with a valentine. With with a, a dozen roses, and Coach <laughs> Ferentz goes large, so it was actually two dozen roses oh, snap. and a box of chocolates. And it just said, be mine. <laughs> be mine, and then student assistant. <laughs> it's exactly how it went. It was so, it was something very unique. I'll never forget it. No, I remember. So how did you actually find out? Yeah, so it was something that was a work in progress. Uh, it, it was just a process of knowing the right person without getting into who that person is. Um, just knowing the right person to allow you to get inside. Like, so like get in the building. And get communication. Yes, if you get in the building, now all of a sudden people know who you are. Or they can begin to know who you are with help of a friend or somebody you may know. So once you're in the building, well then what? Okay, well then make a good impression, do the right thing, say the right things. All right, and as a young coach, generally that's say less, do more, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, that particular friend, he put me in a position to get in front of the offensive coordinator, Ken O'Keefe, uh, who's now back there as the quarterback's coach. Yeah. I had to go in there and not screw it up. It was not a guarantee. But in, in a lot of ways, I could have screwed it up and B, like he could have had another guy. And yeah. there were several people that were interested. But the biggest thing was get in the door and then get in the door and never leave. So why did he choose you? I, I believe that he chose me because I was available. <laughs> a, B, I was recommended by somebody in the building already. Uh -huh. And I would hope to believe that he could see something in me that said I was going to work really hard and, 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 and give it everything I had. Yeah, and I'm sure that's true. Absolutely. You, you you just made me think of a scene. I don't think you ever watched the show, but did you ever watch Arrested Development? Uh, just an episode oh, or man. two maybe. It's so funny. So one of the characters 
is trying to become an actor. Okay. He's ridiculous. Played by, played by David Cross. His name's Tobias. He's the bald guy. The bald guy yeah. with the mustache. Yep. And so there's a whole episode where he's in this studio and he's te- he's like bragging about. He's like, man, I heard that that uh that Funke because that's the last name Tobias Funke. He's like, I heard that Funke is some kind of something. <laughs> and then like later in the episode, he's talking again. He's like, man, that Funke is just probably the best actor in this in the history of <laughs> acting. And like does that the whole episode, and he finally gets to the audition. And they're like, okay, you ready to read? He's like, yeah, hi, I'm Tobias. And he like doesn't even say his last name. But uh, but yeah, so okay, so you got in the door. That's I mean, that's super important. Right. And you just, when you started this, did you know you are going to have just, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the complete and utter focus, like blinders on, you're going for this goal no matter what. Or was it kind of like, oh man, like we're gonna see how this ha- how this goes? One thing that was was given to me as a, as a valuable piece of information or advice early on was, this is a grind, and I don't really like using that term, but it is a long hour profession where you dedicate yourself and everything you've got to doing it and succeeding, and like there's not another option, there's not another alternative, so you do that. What that means you don't know until you start. So I was ready for whatever that meant, the yeah. grind. Yeah. Well, you're not ready until you're actually in it. You don't know what it is until you're actually doing it. And so I don't know what I thought or what I was ready for, but once you're in it, uh, I just maybe it's my makeup the way I'm built, but I was I was in. I was invested and I wasn't going to walk away from it. I loved it from the from the very beginning. And that so-called grind was something I embraced. And I think you need to embrace it in, in most anything that you want to do that you're dedicated to. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I guess let's get into it. So what is, a, what is the role of a student assistant in a Division One team? Right. So the student assistant is, is something that was relatively uncommon at the time. It's become a little bit more common. Everybody wants, that wants to coach wants to get in somehow, some way. And if you didn't play, this is basically an alternative for you to get in and maybe start in some sort of role. And as a student assistant, your job is essentially anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I had my job during uh, camp was to get lunch for every coach. And so I, I typed it up. I still got the file. I looked at it the other day Did you really? of the menu that I created for every coach. I went to their office. I went up to their desk. I said, you know, Coach Ferentz, what do you want for lunch? You know, because every day I'm going to bring back a chicken breast and this type of salad, what kind of dressing, so on and so forth. Uh, the next coach, you want, okay, you want two chicken breasts, no salad. The next coach, okay, you don't want ranch, you want French, and you want it on the side, whatever, no cucumbers. Did all these coaches eat salads? And so, uh, actually, they all did get salads. Healthy, man. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, coach Morgan, Reese Morgan, was, was always a favorite of mine because – he wasn't gonna eat unless I brought him something, but he would always be like, "Shane, don't don't worry about getting me anything. I'm fine. I'm really? fine. Like I'll, I'll 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 be fine. I don't need anybody to get my lunch." I'm like, coach, you're not gonna eat. Like <laughs> you're not gonna be fine. I'll get you a chicken breast and a salad. And of course, he would be really appreciative, and, and he he certainly eat it when I brought it to him. But he always asked me to not get him lunch. Well, and so it's going back real quick to integrity. Yeah. Right away, you know he has integrity because sure. of the way he's treating the lowest man on the totem pole. Sure. You know, and so, I mean, I'm assuming you saw that lesson right. and you're applying it now that you are a college football coach. 
Absolutely. I, the thing that you that you know, and and I'll I'll butcher the quote because we're we're live in studio here. Uh, but you know, it's <laughs> thank it, you for calling this a studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful mountain view and everything. Um, one shoot, mountain. Where was I going? With one that? mountain. Uh, but you know the. <laughs> The like a man's integrity is basically measured in how he treats people that can't do anything for him or or lesser than on the totem pole, on yeah. the totem pole, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so, how do those guys treat you? I think that's a, that's a fair way of assessing, possibly in many ways, their integrity. Yeah. Well, and not to once again not to mention names or anything, but there were people there. I remember you would you would we would be hanging out, and you would just mention like. Some people wouldn't choose that route, I guess, to say. And so, like, what lessons did you learn from that? Right. You know, in, in each of my stops and wherever I've been, there's been there's been people that maybe don't live up to integrity in the highest form or the lowest form or somewhere in between. And that has made me fortunate in several ways, but it's also made life difficult in a few ways as well. And, and those guys that choose to, to not live life the right way, and that's – the right way in my opinion maybe not for everybody but the people that choose to make life hard for others i guess uh to each their own i guess that's not the right way though it's not the right way and i will never want like vindication or revenge i really won't <laughs> i i wanted it. it for you <laughs> remember i was like tell me the address <laughs> the, the funny part about it is is i spoke because it was my first experience of, of handling um i guess like hardcore adversity with another person and uh so i spoke of, of things that this particular person would do several times and i just didn't know how to handle it because i hadn't done it before and so getting other people's opinions and advice and their thoughts on the situation went a long ways and really i think it made me stronger as an individual and stronger in the profession and um it really allowed me to narrow my focus and say this is an external factor that I can't allow to be a roadblock for my ultimate goal. Just the the stoicism kind of philosophy of like, I can't control this, Correct. obviously, but I can control my re- response and my reactions. Right. And, right. And how I handled myself in the situation. Right. Right. The, I wanted to go over there and just beat the crap out of him, though. <laughs> what, whatever. And this is, you know, this is a leadership principle, but event plus response equals outcome yeah okay so you know you're 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 dealt a crappy event okay well you can respond the same way and you're going to get a bad outcome you can respond in a way that you would look back and say i'm proud of the way i responded and then the outcome might be slightly better to maybe significantly better well and maybe you even do the self-fulfilling prophecy like if you went into work every single day and you're like okay this is going to happen and it's going to destroy my day. Then you're coming into work with like a crappy attitude that's probably going to create a crappy day. Whereas if you come into work and you're like, this is going to be a good day. It's going to be awesome. And then something happens. Sometimes it like kind of washes over you and you, you don't notice it as much. Absolutely. So. And conversely, I would say this. As, as another way of putting things too is at the end of those long days you know it might be 9 30 10 10 30 11 o'clock at night when i was driving home or maybe as i just got home i would make a phone call and there was usually one of two people i would talk to and that those two people had a way of putting it in perspective for me to kind of end my night you know a phone call that lasted 10 to 15 minutes allowed me to sleep put my head on the pillow and sleep soundly and get up and recharge and and, and 
do it all over again. Yeah. And just That's push important. through. That's important. Who are the people? You, uh, if you don't mind me asking. I, I'll share one. Okay. One was my mom. That's what I thought. Who, okay. Who's been very strong throughout all of this. Um, and then there was another one, which I won't name, but my mom was very, very strong yeah. throughout that. So you would have to, what time would you have to go into the office? Usually at Iowa as a student assistant, and this goes for graduate assistants as well. Graduate assistant is a similar deal, just a little bit higher up on the totem pole. Uh, your, your kind of guideline is first in, last out. <laughs> and uh, for, for me, it's always been interesting because I'm not an early riser. I'm naturally a late night guy. As Shane's college roommate, I can vouch for that because <laughs> I am an early riser. And I would be like, dude, he's sleeping half of the day. <laughs> So you had to like totally just change your routine. So the night the night part of it stayed the same, but now it was just <laughs> finding a way to get up in the morning. Yeah. Uh, really, what's been been good for me is I haven't been to a place where we started at five a.m. or, or five thirty or even six regularly. You know, during camp maybe, but not regularly. Uh, it was always get into the office at about six forty-five. Okay. So you know, usually that meant for me a five fifty-five or six a.m. wake up call. Yeah. And that's something I, I adjusted to. So can you tell me about the first day of practice? Because you got the job in February. Right. And then let's even skip spring ball and all that. Or no, let's do like the very first day you were out there with with the Hawkeyes, first practice. Yeah. How'd you feel, dude? Well, l- let me put it this way. There's a couple different angles. Uh, but a year prior to, and talking about spring ball, I had observed a spring ball practice. Okay. And I watched each of the players walk through their locker room area just outside of it into the bubble, so their indoor practice facility. And it was always very interesting looking back at that because I go, oh, there's such and such, there's such and such. And to me, that's exactly who they were. They were people that you would see on TV. They played for the Hawkeyes and, or maybe you saw them out downtown, whatever. And, and you had this idea in your mind of who they might be, but you always had them on a pedestal as well because they were an Iowa Hawkeye football player and now you know now I'm on a first name basis with the majority of them now I'm on the field in a way you know in a coaching role so it was a very like eye-opening experience of first off where do I fit in you know I'm 22 I didn't play I'm trying to be a coach do you have that in your mind a lot do you have that in your mind at that whole like I didn't play I didn't play I didn't play no you know what uh that's something that comes and goes even to this day, but it's really random. At that point in time, it was still very like it was probably the best I've ever done of just being a very narrow focus of this is what I've got to do. And that, that might have been making 22 copies of the practice script before practice. Yeah. And then as I'm at practice thinking about what do I have period three, period eight, period 21, what do I have to do post-practice? And so I had so much going on, so much on my plate that I didn't necessarily allow the, oh, this, that, and the other to come into play. Also, I guess equally as, as important was I was working with a quarterback. So, like, the biggest awe factor is, is usually the quarterback yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I was in that room and working with the quarterbacks already for whatever it was, a month and a half, two months. Yeah. So a little bit of that awe factor was, was gone, I guess. That's good. Not not to say it wasn't really freaking cool because it was. It was always yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Every day was cool. Every single day was cool. That's awesome, man. That's how you know that's the right career choice for you. Absolutely. You know? um, Absolutely. Okay, so first practice, everything goes without a hitch. Uh, maybe. 
You're giving me a weird look. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I hope so. Did you have any moments where you're like, uh, I just messed that up? <laughs> I, this will be, this is crazy. This will be my 10th year coaching. I've messed a lot of things up. <laughs> There's no doubt. But if you get hung up on, on the stuff you mess up, and we're talking not, we're not talking the integrity stuff, but we're talking about uh, maybe your day-to-day stuff or this small little minute detail, the balls. whatever it might be. <laughs> well, no, there's some things. Uh, I've messed up things all along the way. And uh, can you share one? Do you have Do you have any you're thinking about right now? Uh, let's come back to that okay. because I'm sure I've got a really good one, but I need to think <laughs> about it. I just remember uh, coaching. I coached high school freshmen, which is a bit different, but uh, I don't remember what I did, but uh, I, f- I think I might have actually told this on the last podcast, so I won't repeat it. Well, except for the fact that I just – there was a few times where I just got completely cussed out by, by the coach, and every time I was just – I owned up to it, and I was like, you know what? That, I did mess that up. I probably deserve to be yelled at a bit. Like, I completely understand. Right, right. And for us, you know – when where I was coaching, he was my high, also my high school football coach, so I was kind of used to that kind of relationship where I would get. There was more of a personal side yeah. of it too. We were we were definitely like personally connected, and I respected him a lot. So it didn't, yeah. it, it wasn't like my ego took a bruise. I was always like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess there's okay. So to share a story along that line, I was playing rugby once against uh, Northern Iowa. Okay. And one of our best friends, Jake Reed, who's yeah. been on the podcast, he was the president of Northern Iowa. And I knew all the dudes on that team, and I would hang yeah. out with them and stuff. But, like, on the rugby field, man, like, you get intense, you know? So there was a moment where I just tackled this kid, and I, like, completely lifted his legs off the ground and slammed him, which is a totally not safe. You're not supposed to do that in rugby. Right. And he got up and just punched me as hard <laughs> as he could in the face. And I just kind of took it. I'm like, yep, yep. That Did was, that happen in Iowa City? Because I want to say I saw that. That happened in Muscatine, our oh, hometown, okay. actually. And I just remember being like, yeah, I deserve that. It was, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel angry at that guy at all. Did that coincide with the the naked run? Well, you know, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> the Zulu. Hey, it's just a rugby tradition, isn't it? Yeah, I'm actually hoping to have a one of my old rugby friends on the podcast at some point. And we can share all those okay. fun stories. Yeah, there's excellent stories. There. There's one to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, man. So, okay. So, what was your role during the games as a student assistant? So, my first year, I was on the sidelines in a, in a signaling capacity. So, I would stand by the offensive coordinator and then two backup quarterbacks. And uh, we would signal into the starting quarterback what the play was. And, uh, and he would look at just one of you, right? He would look, we would, one of us would be live. So technically, one of us would be the guy that was giving him the real play. And then one or two of us, if that's what I was doing, if I wasn't doing something else, uh, would be the dummy signaler, as yeah. they call it. So giving fake signals, which having done signals at other places, the dummy signaler is actually significantly harder. Because when someone tells you what to signal, you automatically have uh, body mechanics that go into place right away. And when you've got to th- hear it still, but then do something different, that, it really throws you off. And to create a sense of timing that coincides with the other guy, it's really difficult. Yeah, man. I so didn't think it's, about uh, that. It's, it's an interesting thing that you wouldn't think of unless you were doing it. And then you're like, crap, 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 you know? <laughs> and, and suffice to say, 
uh, I kind of gave it into that that answer, but I didn't really elaborate. When I said one or two dummy signalers, I was awful at it. <laughs> so by the time we got to whatever game, I just stopped dummy signaling because I couldn't I couldn't do it. And uh, the only time I truly dummy signaled for two real games was uh, Ohio State at Ohio State. Okay. Uh, because our quarterback was injured, and that was a big game for us. And then the next game against Minnesota, our quarterback was also injured uh, for that game as well. So those two games, I was actually a dummy signaler from beginning to end. Because the backup wasn't on the sideline anymore. Because the backup wasn't. So now the backup was in, and he was getting the live signal from the other quarterback, and I was the dummy. And I look like one, too, probably. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, the other coaches are on the sideline, like – looking at you in binoculars and they're like that guy's obviously the that dummy. guy is he's, not giving a signal that means like, anything on like a first first of all he's on like a 15 second delay <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell he's thinking he's sweating like a pig <laughs> oh my god that's funny oh. i didn't dude that's something yeah man if you weren't a part of a football program or you didn't have that experience yeah you wouldn't be able to empathize empathize with the dummy signaler. The dummy signaler. It's a tough job, man. <laughs> so the next year, long story short here, the next year I was actually up in the press box okay. helping to chart plays because the quarterback system was figured out and who was getting the plays, who was giving the plays. I didn't need to be down there. Uh, so I helped chart the plays from the press box the next year, yeah. which probably helped the dynamics of the quarterback situation on the field as far as signaling. And it helped <laughs> me because I got to see the game from, from what some people call the stress box because – you see everything, but yet you can't do much of anything about it. Yeah. And so you're up there, and whether you're just charting or you're calling plays or whatever it is you're doing in the box, it's a very fascinating deal because you can see so much of what's going on. Yeah. You can see every adjustment that's happening on the field, who goes on the field, who goes off the field. You can see their sideline. You can have binoculars. You can have all these statistics and tendencies in front of you, but you are so far removed from the action that what you say may never make it to a player. Yeah. What you call, now if you're a coordinator, your call should make it to a player and should make it to the offensive and defense. So. <laughs> but you are very far removed from what's going on, on on the field. Wow, man. How many F-bombs are thrown up in the – is it is it soundproof? Is the press box sound? You would hope so um, as a coach if yeah. you are up there. Yeah. But many of them are, are not. The reason and I – you generally buy, you know, the TV booth or whatever. Yeah. They're picking it up on the on the announcing, and they do. <laughs> well, because they the re- have a way of, of filtering that out. The reason why I ask is because for the high school, um, at the high school level, the press box is literally right behind the bleachers, and it's an open like it's open. It's yeah. open, right? And there's right. a lot of f bombs, man. Because I was doing the same thing a couple years where I'd be up there, right, charting plays and things like that, and. Yeah, it was. It always made me laugh. I'm like, everyone down below can hear everything we're saying right now. Which is funny because now when you bring that up, that goes more to along the lines of what I'm doing now is smaller college football, which we play in stadiums that sometimes are, you know, equal to or less than yep. high school stadiums. Yeah. Open air press box. <laughs> the people sit right below you. They're no more than three feet away. Yeah. And one of my big things is I don't like to use the F word in front of my players. Yeah. I do it every so often. I usually do it for emphasis. But on game day, assuming I'm not on the field, if I'm in the box, 
it's kind of no holds barred, anything goes. And part of that is because I feel like I am so far removed. It's frustrating. And it's frustrating. And I also sometimes, though, I do feel like maybe I can get away and say some stuff that normally I wouldn't because nobody can hear me. But that's not the case. Yeah. More people than I ever know can hear me because they're right by me. Yeah. And so I, I've kind of I've done the say something and then duck down and kind of hope that they see another coach <laughs> up there. And I've gotten, I've gotten pretty sneaky good at that. You're pointing at the other coach. Is <laughs> this guy? This guy saying it. Um, wow, man. Okay, so yeah, man. So being on the sideline during a Division One Big Ten game has to be insane. It's it's surreal because it just is. Yeah. I mean that that I could just end there in there, but I'm I'm fortunate, and and I don't talk about the experience as much because I always feel like I'm, I'm like bragging, but it's like what do I have to brag about? I was like really really lucky. Yeah. I caught a lucky break. But going to Penn State, and that was in 09, coming off a huge win the year prior, it was a primetime game. Everybody wanted to see what was going to happen. So we're playing on ABC, national TV, and it's 110,000. It's a whiteout at Penn State, which is their big deal, where everybody wears white, and it's just insane. Uh, going to Ohio, Ohio State, where there's 108,000 playing for a Big Ten championship. Going to Michigan the following year, playing in an Orange Bowl. All those experiences are just how can I put it other than that they're surreal? They're insane. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. Like, and to think, you know, a year prior to that or two years prior to that, or as a little kid, like that was just like, that was not attainable. And then all of a sudden that's where I was. Not only not attainable, but that was what you were a fan of. Absolutely. Like it was the team that you were Absolutely. a fan of. Absolutely. And now all of a sudden you're on the sideline in all these crazy situations. Which looking back at it now, it's it's been really cool but it's also made me envy to get back to Iowa in a lot of ways is because you don't realize it at the time and and I think that's human nature but also because it was my first like big job and I was too young to know it I was I was too young and dumb I guess to know it but you look back at it, I look back at it and I go I didn't appreciate it enough like there was so many things that I didn't appreciate enough this was a team that like Again, going back to the first podcast, going with you and your dad when we could get $10 tickets, which you can't do anymore, usually anyway, get $10 <laughs> tickets and go watch them kick you know, Kent State's ass yeah. or be in Indiana with Antoine Randall-L. This was a team that you watched on TV playing that Orange Bowl in 02 when they got their tails kicked in by USC. I don't remember that game. And so <laughs> it was larger than I life. You know, For me, it was, it was the Packers and the Hawkeyes. Yeah. So the Green Bay Packers and the Iowa Hawkeyes, and now I'm part of that. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you make sense of it? It's yeah. hard to. So how did you deal? I mean, you kind of already went into how you dealt with self doubt and adversity, but how did you deal with just the elation and like excitement? I mean, yeah. How did you handle just the first day you're gonna do a football game or go to Ohio State or whatever? Like, how did you handle just your football nerd side of you? Uh, you know what? One of one of the funny things that that I remember to just an absolute T looking back at it is that Ohio State game in 2009 when legitimately we were playing for a Rose Bowl and a Big Ten championship before they had the actual legitimate game was I knew I was going to be that dummy signaler and I knew there was going to be a big crowd. I knew there was going to be a lot of things going on. It wasn't necessarily going to be different in a lot of ways from any other game before that, but in a lot of ways it was going to be completely different. And I remember being in the locker room next to who's now the tight ends coach, LeVar Woods, and I'm sitting there and, like, 
like I'm completely like shaking my knees are up and down doing the leg shake like it was like I was getting ready to run down on a kickoff is is the best way to put it and LeVar turns to me he's like doubts what what are you doing like are you getting ready to run down on a kickoff he put it out there like in the words I'm like it's exactly what I used to do before like I'd play a game and get ready to run down on a kickoff like he's like you're freaking out man I'm like no I'm just really excited and I think it was a combination of both. I think I was freaking out because the moment was not too big, but really cool. Yeah. And I was excited. I was really excited. Like, I didn't have anything to lose. I was a dummy singler that was going to do bad signals. All right? I, the worst thing that I was going to have was maybe, like, picking my nose on the sideline and somebody catches it on TV. Hey, man, they probably thought that was a signal. <laughs> You'd be okay. I was safe. Yeah. I was safe, yes. Wow, man. Uh, okay, so what other pieces of advice or I mean, you're watching a Hall of Fame football coach, and you're watching. He, if in case you're listening to this and you're not a football fan, which that's fine, <laughs> or if you're not a Hawkeye fan, which is fine too, um, as long as you're not like a Wisconsin fan or something. But, um, but, so if you don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say, Kirk Ferentz is the head coach for Iowa. He's gonna go to the Hall of Fame. He's the longest tenured coach in the country. Yeah. Yep. So he's been with the same team for the longest amount of time. And in my opinion, he's just a very respectable guy. And I, I, I mentioned this the other day and you're like, how do you know? I'm like, I just get the feeling like he has the integrity. Like if I think of integrity, I'm thinking of Kirk Ferentz. Right. So what kind of and lessons did you learn? Just, and you picked up his, you totally picked up his speaking mannerisms, <laughs> by the way, man. <laughs> it's it, well, it's funny what you start to emulate and replicate when you work with people and you respect people and, and when you respect people certainly yes uh but then there's a there's also there's there's a middle ground to like get back to who you are too and there's an in-between but uh going back to your original question which was like what 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 kind of things did you pick up from a hall of fame football coach okay. that you want to replicate in your career so Co- coach Ferentz and it's it's just one of those deals where it's always Coach Ferentz. You know, I will hardly ever call him Kirk because it's a respect deal for me, uh, which probably goes back to when I was young. But for for Coach Ferentz to treat me as an equal, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. Like, you, you think he does, but he doesn't. Most people around the country aren't getting treated as well as I did by Coach Ferentz. They're just not. That's just the nature of... You mean most people in a different program. In a different program in the same role. Gotcha. Yeah, to define okay. that. Head coach, student assistant, guy that, you know, what's his role? He's around, he helps, I know that. Do I care to know who he is or what he's about? <laughs> no. If I walked into the bathroom and Coach Ferentz was walking out, or if he was already in there, he's going to say, hi, Shane, how are you? In yeah. some way, shape, or form. And usually it was a little bit different than that. Yeah. Uh, coach has a very, very great sense of humor that um, – most people don't don't get to see that side of him because he doesn't feel he needs to put anything out there like that in public. But what you do get from him in the public eye is, it, it, from the public perspective, is that he is what you said the other day. I mean, he is genuine. He's honest. He has that integrity. He has a sense of calmness. He is stoic beyond belief. Yeah. You don't see him get too fired up. And when you do, the fans all cheer, you know, <laughs> and, and rightfully so because – when he's fired up, it's be, there's a reason behind it. He's yeah. not acting like an idiot to just, like, whatever. He's not acting like an idiot. He's acting out of character because something happened that wasn't correct. And that's what, as someone who thinks about coaching 
and has coached and has, you know, my, I grew up my whole, my dad was a coach my whole entire life. I just look at the coaches on the sidelines, essentially throwing a fit. And it bothers me, man. Like, cause young men are looking up to that as a person they want to emulate. And if they see a guy on the sideline throwing a fit, cussing people out nonstop, you know, that's something they, they decide like, oh, this is how a man behaves. I don't know if you ever read this book. It's called Season of Life. Um, it's about I have not. Joe Ehrman, I think, is oh, his name. I take that back. I've, I've read that. Yeah, and so he talks about that. And he, you is that know, what it's called? Or does he have multiple books? It's called Season of Life. It's I've, the one, I've read it's, book. it's a book about this guy. And I'm trying take to take that back. I, I've read his his other book, Inside Out Coaching. So he didn't write the book. Someone yeah, wrote it. I know about exactly him. what you're and talking about. And I saw him right. speak, and I mean, that's I think that's really important is how how the main guy's behaving, the leader is behaving. Right. It it's it's the point of like it shows you like what everyone's what everyone else is gonna do. There's another show. I don't know if you saw this because you don't have Netflix. I don't think, but. I can't remember what it's called now. It's a show about a college football team. It's a documentary. Is it the latest one? With the latest the, one, like Second Chance U. Second Chance U. That's the, or Last Chance. Last U. Last Chance. And U. it's about yeah, I like have not seen Mississippi. It. Whatever. And right, I don't want to like. Yeah. I don't want to talk crap about the coach just in case you get opportunity to get a job there. <laughs> but like, he's the opposite of what I imagine Kirk Ferentz to be. Right. He's like, there's a scene where he's his players get into a huge brawl. And then he's like calling him every name in the book, and it's horrible stuff when you watch it. But and that's horrible enough. But the fact that an episode before he got into a fist fight with a referee, right? It's like, what do you think's gonna happen, man? Your players saw you get in a fight; they're gonna emulate that. You're the leader of the team, you know. So when I look at Ferentz, I'm like, his calmness and, like you said, his stoicism, it has to rub off on the players. I think it absolutely does, and I think there's a big piece of that that you see in an Iowa football team. They're they're almost slow and steady, right? <laughs> and I don't mean that necessarily literally, uh, but they come out and they do what they do. They're not coming out throwing tricks generally. They're not coming out doing something that's out of character. They're doing something that's very much within the blueprint that they put forth back in 1999 when Coach Ferentz got there, and he hasn't deviated too much from that. He's improved it. Yeah. But he hasn't deviated from the original blueprint, and the players pick up on it. They feel it. They know it. And if your if your coach is acting like a crazy man, if he's acting like a wild man on the sidelines, well, it is a game where there's a lot of emotion. There's going to be ups and downs. But your players need to be able to turn to somebody and say, "Okay, coach has got it under control. This is going to be okay." Control. Yeah. And if your coach is, whether it's way too excited or way too unhappy. You're not setting the right example, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, which is funny. I just remember you told me a story of, like, what was the first game you were with Iowa? Was it you and I? Northern Iowa, Okay, yes. so yeah. it's, things are not going right in the first half, to say the least. And yeah, Throughout most of the game. And you, well, yeah, they had to block two field goals <laughs> to win the game. <laughs> and with, they did. With seconds left. It was crazy. But um, so you go into the, the locker room at halftime, and you told me you're just like in your mind you're like what is this gonna be like i've never been in like a college locker room at halftime and you're expecting this big speech 
and we're gonna have Zoe, our my daughter, join us for a second. But you're expecting this big giant speech, and uh, and like you know what you'd imagine on a on a movie. Oh, we're gonna pause it for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're imagining what's gonna be like what you'd imagine in, in a football movie, right? Like the biggest inspiring speech ever. Absolutely. So what did what did what happened? Uh, the, <laughs> the two big things from a locker room perspective that day, which. I will never ever forget, but it's funny because you say it to me now, and like I, it was, it was taking me a few seconds to, to wonder what you were gonna say or where you're going with it. But I remember it uh, as if it happened an hour ago, and that was pregame, and then that was at halftime, and even really postgame too. But it was something I had brought up to you, to other friends, to other acquaintances to family well it has to be a question people were curious they wanted to know yeah. they're like how was it how was your first game and i and i'm like i don't know how to necessarily put it into words it's not what i expected <laughs> it was very very uh i don't even know the right word it was it was it wasn't too up it wasn't too down it was Coach Ferentz at the beginning of the game saying, we need to play the full 60, you need to do your job, we need to defend Kinnick, and basically let's go. We come in at halftime, things aren't going well, uh, there's adversity, so on and so forth. Hey, we need to do our job, we need to defend Kinnick, we need to play the rest of the game now. Uh, There wasn't much to it. There wasn't (laughs) loud screaming and yelling, there wasn't get your crap together, there wasn't this, there wasn't that. It wasn't the movie scene that you might expect. It wasn't what your high school coach probably said. It was very different. And then after the game, when we managed to win with two blocked field goals, it <laughs> was like this is crazy. It was <laughs> hard fought win. We did what we set out accomplished to do. Now we're gonna we can enjoy it for a few hours, but now we're on to Iowa State. Yeah. And so it was very unique. Uh, really, one of the more unique things was in that 24 hour time period. It was the night before in the hotel that was the most intense part of the 24 hours that was the most intense that was when players were so locked in and the coaches were, were more I don't want to say on edge because that's a, that's a negative connotation but more we got to get this right than whatever happens the crap that happens 20 minutes before a game yeah they were more concerned about what was happening the night before and that was in the 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 chap the chapel service that was in coach Ferentz's remarks that was in the offense doing we did a video walkthrough and which had to be spot on otherwise we'd redo it and we never redid one because they were always spot on and i walked out of there going holy crap that's the most intense thing i've ever been a part of in my life and to this day it's probably still one of the most intense things i've ever been a part of in my life wow and that happened every game yeah that most intense part of the 24-hour period leading up to a game was the night before so it was the preparation and the work that had already been put in and done which was very, very fascinating. Yeah, man. So on game day, I was just kind of like, hey, this is going to be fun. Game day was, you know, let's do our job. Do yeah. our job. Do what we've done this week, and that's yeah. practice and uh, prepare. And and there's, it's not going to be anything more than that. Yeah. It's not going to be anything less than that. It's going to be just that. Yeah. And, and that's very different and contrasting, and it's just a different style. But at Iowa State, uh, under a different coach, you know, Coach Paul Rose is a very motivating speaker. And he was able to draw out some things early on in his players in the first quarter or two that uh, maybe other coaches wouldn't. But there's a part of that that fades, and there's a part of that where you trust what you did during the week. And, and that's not to say Coach Rhodes didn't, but it was a very different aspect of pregame. 
All right, so you you mentioned moving on to Iowa State, yeah. And I guess this is kind of where we're gonna cap this episode. We're gonna yeah. tell like an anthology <laughs> for you. Um, so the, your story continues. Obviously, that was only that was like eight years ago. So <laughs> so it does continue. And so like in the continuation of the story, there's a lot of what I would call like hustle, like you're hustling, you're being a uh, a cheerleader for yourself as you're trying to you have to be you have to be yeah to get in positions where you can do what you want to do which is coach college football yep you have to be someone who's going to you know be the biggest fan of of yourself and you got to put yourself out there put, which put I don't, it this way let me let me just interrupt very quickly is that it took me two weeks to ask my junior year to ask this girl out to prom. <laughs> I was scared. I was nervous. And uh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how to handle. She was going to say yes, too. That was the bad thing is I knew she was going to say yes. Can I interject here? Because I remember. Go ahead. We were in architectural design. <laughs> and you kept coming up to me with your nose up in the air. And you're like, you're like, dude, do I have any boogers in my nose? <laughs> do I have any boogers? I'm going to ask her next period, man. Do I have boogers? And I'm like. No, it but you did about it like right. four or five times. That sounds about right. So <laughs> this is like asking a girl to prom 24-7. You know, my first – every year there's an annual convention, and it's in a different location. There's head coaches from all different levels. There's Urban Meyer. There's Division three head coach, whatever. Everywhere you go, and you could be a, just a general college football fan that maybe doesn't even know necessarily a lot, but – you would recognize a lot of faces there. My first one was in 2011 in Dallas, and I went up to the first head coach I saw. I went up, extended my hand, looked him in the eye, and I shook his hand as firmly as I could, and I just introduced myself. And I've never stopped. Yeah. Now, I, now there's times where I'll say, it's not the right situation. He's got seven guys he's talking to. Or, I don't care to meet this guy. But I've never stopped. I've never backed down from that. Doesn't mean I don't get nervous. Doesn't and mean I'm not that's scared. That's what I'm trying to get. Because I am. Is that uncomfortable for you? It can. It's gotten more comfortable because you're just meeting another coach. So yeah. you're meeting someone who's like-minded in many ways. You're meeting another person who's probably had similar experiences in terms of throwing themselves out there. Uh, and then anything in life, if you do it enough, you start to build some sort of comfort level. But it's never, ever going to be a deal where it's just completely comfortable because you're making yourself vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable, bad things could potentially happen. How bad? Probably not that bad, but... Probably not as bad as you're imagining. Probably not. Yeah. And, and for sure not. But you never know. Yeah. Well, so we'll, we'll stop it there. And so you ended up becoming a GA at Iowa State, and that's kind of what we'll get into next time. Um, I did kind of, before we officially stop, I did want to hear a book recommendation because you're very well-read. You read books all the time. Okay. What do you okay. have? Do you have any specific ones you've um, read recently that the, you'd like to share with the, the, the audience? The best book I've read in the last year, and maybe in my entire life, is Legacy, about the the All Blacks rugby team. Okay. I would recommend it to anybody in and out of first of all rugby for sure, in and out of sports, in and out of leadership, in and out of management, business, anything, because the te the, the lessons and the teachings from it are uh, absolutely amazing. And that's. As I'm looking up, Legacy by James Kerr, and it's called "What the All Blacks Can Teach About." I'm trying to read a super small. <laughs> okay, let me start over. That's Legacy by James Kerr. <laughs> what the All Blacks can teach us about business of life. 
Awesome. Thank you for doing this, dude. Fist bump. Knocked it out of the park. All right, man. Uh, and for the rest of our episodes, just look up Like a Bigfoot on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, as we discussed. That's kind of the ones I actually use. So, all right, man. We'll get back at you, Shane. Perfect. Can't wait. All right. See you, man. All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. And... <gasps> Look who just walked in the room. Well, hello, Bigfooters. <laughs> it's like a Bigfoot all-star, Calvin Johansson. I'm sorry. Is that offensive? Is Do Bigfooters like to be called Yetis or... You know, we're still kind of going through that. I don't know. Okay. Well, hello, all walkers of the forest, deep forest. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, dude. So yeah, so what are you what are you doing out here in my house this morning? <laughs> well, I showed up in Colorado with uh, some aspirations to summit some more mountains like last summer after uh, summiting a bunch of fourteeners and then some last year, a little escapade of four months of mountain climbing, hundred mountains a hundred days. Uh, there's two, well specifically one mountain that I couldn't get because I needed a permit. It's the only privately owned Calibra. And you know, it's, uh, but I got a permit. And so this year I'm gonna do it and I got a permit. So I'm gonna go out and do it and then keep working on a few more mountains for another list of the Colorado 100 highs. There's, if you'll realize this, if you start climbing mountains, there's so many lists. <laughs> there's like a billion lists of. I'll never forget when I was in the Crestones, there was a guy that met uh, and he was pretty experienced, but he said, that's the thing about list. He goes, when you get done with this one, you could go maybe to the West Coast and do all the volcanoes. And he goes, no matter what you do, there's always another list. That's right. But it's great. I, the lists are a great way to get yourself out in the world. It's a good means, I guess. Soon you'll be climbing every hill in Des Moines <laughs> yeah. and just being like, okay, I'm slowly working down. And then you'll just be on flat land and you're like, I don't even know what to do now. Yeah, because I went from the 14ers to then some 13ers. And yeah, it's worked out. A buddy of mine was like, he's like, wait, how old are you? And I'm like, ah, oh, 30. And he's like, how many mountains in the world? He goes, someday in your life you have a book or a title, just be like, I conquered the world because you literally climbed every mountain. And I was like, I don't know if that's possible. But. Do you have any mountains that are like on your, I definitely want to do this list, like dream list? Uh, no, not really. Um, just take them as they come. I just, you know, whatever comes to fruition, whatever comes into my consciousness, yeah. I just take them as they come. So I was laughing yesterday because you are back out here and you're going to do the rest of the Colorado Centennials. Correct. Because before it was United States Centennials. So there's like 20 some mountains left. Yep. But I was laughing because I, I'm anticipating this. I'm anticipating you climbing one mountain, whatever some sort of 13er is. And then realizing you had already been up there last year and just didn't realize it was like counted as one of these 13ers. That's quite possible. It's funny when you uh, read these forums stuff and individuals who love hiking, they go out all the time. They look at their books like, which 13er or 12er should I go do? Or I've done that one. I can't wait to go back. And I kind of come from this weird mindset of like, I'm a one and done kind of guy. <laughs> I like to go up, check the list off and do a different one. But, um, you know, it's probably powering going back to the same spots. Maybe. Well, I mean, I've done a few of this like I've done a few mountains multiple times and each time is a different experience because you have different weather yep. different you know you're seeing different wildlife or or even your mindset is in a different place like we did Albert and Massive twice yep. and I remember where my mindset was the first time versus where it was the second time it was like a completely yeah different experience so 
Cool, man. I'm excited. Can you uh, drop like a, a two-minute calspiration on us to wrap up? The, the, the only calspiration I have lately, top of mind, okay. uh, when I was talking to my roommate, but it's that great, powerful quote of failing to plan is planning to fail. Uh, and you can see that in many avenues in my life. I see it in very different areas. We were at the time, they talk about finances and projects in life. And um, even this one applies for me, the mountains of what's my what's my week plan when I'm out here? Because, um, you know, time's going to come and go. W-E-E-K. Week. Yeah, week. Plan. Yeah. Like week. <laughs> yeah, strong plan. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, don't know, it's, uh, even, I think it just goes good with goals in life, like looking way ahead. You know, maybe you have your own list and stuff. Um, it's like, but really, what kind of plan are you starting to put in place? Because if you just kind of like have like a loose idea, it's, you know, you're just kind of, I guess, failing to plan or planning to fail. Um, one of mine lately that comes up, it's like, I like to travel in my, I'm just thinking like, oh, I want to travel more internationally and stuff, but I haven't really defined that more and more. Because if, if I don't define that, like, what are the actual places I want to go and things, then time's going to come and go. And before you know it, it's a couple more years have passed. It's like, Oh wow! I totally forgot to plan. Therefore, I've been failing. You know, yeah. so I don't know. Take that, use it, think on it. Well, if you're like, you know, I always want to travel, you know, and now you're in the time of your life where that's a little easier. Mm-hmm. And then in three years from now, who knows what could happen? And it could be a, a lot more difficult. And then you're like, oh crap! I didn't do it when it was easy. Yeah. It reminds me of when Lindsay and I first moved to Danville, Virginia, and we didn't have any kids yet or anything. And I knew in the back of my mind, I'm like, I should join this running club so I can make friends, you know, easier than, you know, it, take, it just takes a while when you move to a new town, like meet people and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I could speed this up by joining the running club. And then I just never did. <laughs> and then like two years later, after we had kids, I'm like, I'm going to do this running club thing. And I'm like, oh, this would have been nice to do every week, you know, twice a week and met some cool people. And yeah. Things. And, you know, just like kind of like a missed opportunity thing. So. And I think, yeah, missed, totally missed opportunity. And when you go out there and you start to just scribble down a plan, you know, it doesn't have to be super descriptive, like a, a thousand page business plan, right? It I'm could... laughing because uh, <laughs> for you coming out here, you texted me at like nine o'clock. You're like, dude, I still haven't bought shoes. <laughs> you know, I was uh, almost five hours behind my plan, but uh, I had a lose plan, you know. That's oh it. So you like haven't. Like a good outline, a good solid outline yeah. for like room to improvise. Room to improvise, yep. At least that's my style. Um, and you know, and then have things where you can just take a small step when need be to create momentum to make sure things yeah. happen. So like, if it's like, oh, I need to join the running club, what's the easiest thing you got to do? Well, look where they meet or shoot the email. You know, something very kind of low yeah. energy required. Just get the momentum going. Awesome, man. Momentum. 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 <laughs> that's just the title of of the show. All right, cool, man. Well, hey, uh, we're fast approaching like the one year anniversary of like Bigfoot. So Ta-da. we're going to have to have like more calspirations then or something. Which I'm sure you've learned in a year's time of having to plan of how to do a podcast and so on. It's crazy, man. It's been really awesome. So we'll, we'll chat about that at some point. And of course, as always, if you get like in some epic adventure, like you're wrestling a grizzly bear <laughs> this week, um, you definitely need to share that story. So. Yes. And we'll be hiking Mount the Holy Cross tentatively. Um, right? Yes, correct. Uh, that's, that's the plan. Sorry, I, I got a thought that I have to ask the audience, and that is, I know yetis like to be uh, like to be hidden, right? Yeah. In public view. Yeah, yeah. 
But do other yetis like to hide from other yetis, or do yetis actually hang out together? Like they hang out together, but if someone like a human is around or yeah. like a bear is around, they're like, no, no, you yeah. need to hide. Or do you think like yetis are like, hey, I've heard there's these Bigfoot creatures out there, but I've never seen one. <laughs> oh, well, then those are humans. <laughs> oh. Is that where yeah. you're going? Like that twist? I don't know. I think I'm lost now. Wait, so yetis are like, <laughs> are like I heard there's this monster in Loch Ness. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know if we should believe in it. And other yetis are like, yeah, man, that's a load of crap. This sounds like an opportunity for a screenplay for all these mythical creatures about discovering each other. How is there not already that? I don't know. Like a movie. Because there's so... All the things in movies now is like superheroes. So you do like one superhero movie. And then they combine the team up. There you go. Yeti after, and like Loch Ness Monster and... Chris, I'm sorry. After a year's... Uh, year anniversary we have to shut this thing down and start producing all the screenplays for mythical creatures yeah, yeah that would be awesome that'd be cool all right man well thank you and uh thanks for doing this outro and i hope you guys enjoyed the podcast uh come back next week next week's kind of going to be an interesting one calvin because like mm. we actually talk about something pretty like a serious like environmental concern cliffhanger with like a really <laughs> a really smart guy um, his name's Ryan Duplaze, and he is sounds uh, fancy. He's an educator who I met up in Canada on this lake while I was fishing with my dad, and he basically came over and talked to us for like twenty minutes, and he was telling us about the history of the environmental history of that lake and the like First Nation community that lives on it, <clears throat> and it was all things like fascinating, horrifying. And basically it stuck with me and I'm like, I want to help in some way, you know, I want to help this community in some way possible. And, you know, I have a small platform, so why don't we just kind of reconnect with him and like share it. And that's been a cool thing with the podcast too, is you just like, you meet people one time and then you get to reconnect with them. And it's super, totally super, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> super something, super, super, something. Yeah. super something. It's satisfying and, yeah. you know, it's been awesome. So thank you guys Great. for listening as All I right. mumble through the last part <laughs> of this podcast. All right, man. See ya. Adios. Good luck. <laughs>